VI Shots Podcast, Episode 11. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of VI Shots. My name is Michael Ivoriotis, and this is the podcast devoted to the world of LabVIEW. With each episode, I bring you interviews, discussions, and share with you ideas for how you can take your LabVIEW development to the next level. Well, welcome back, everyone, to a brand new episode of the VI Shots podcast. We've been on hiatus for about two and a half months, uh, ever since our last episode, which was the 10th episode back at the beginning of August, right at a nine week. Took a two and a half month break, but we're back here with, uh, with more excitement and vigor and pushing ahead with new episodes and uh, new technical videos uh, for LabVIEW. Today's episode, I'm excited to have three guests on the show. We have Brian Powell, who's a 23-year veteran with NI, Nancy Hollenbeck, and Charlie Knapp. All three work for National Instruments, and they're part of a new group called the NI Field Architects. So, Brian, uh, 23 years, that's two years short of 25, which is the 25th anniversary of LabVIEW, which was this year. Um, so, which, which version of LabVIEW did you start uh, with at NI? Um, I believe, well, LabVIEW 1.1 was shipping when I uh, first joined NI, and um, I was I was actually brought in to work on the rewrite of LabVIEW, uh, which was LabVIEW 2.0. And so the, the, you know, a lot of those team members, LabVIEW 1 team members that we saw at NI Week uh, this past, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, I, I knew... Uh, them, you know, they're old friends. A few of them are still at NI, but uh, it was great to see those old friends. Um, but I was actually discouraged from ever looking at the code that they wrote for LabVIEW 1. <laughs> so um, we, we really did rewrite LabVIEW from scratch. We threw away the prototype with LabVIEW 1 and, and moved on with LabVIEW 2. Can I embarrass Brian for a moment? Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, how, how long after the announcement of LabVIEW 2 did you guys ship? Uh, I say that... Um, when I joined NI, we were six months away from shipping LabVIEW 2, and we stayed six months away for the first 18 months. <laughs> there we go. That was a good answer. It was always six months away. That's right. And, and one of my early features was um, a very commonly used feature in LabVIEW, which was saving VIs. Uh, before, Thank before, you. Before that, uh, VIs weren't really worth saving anyway. <laughs> LabVIEW 2 would crash before it was worth saving any of your work. And then I followed that on with load, and so and and then the rest is history. So you're saying that LabVIEW 2.0 didn't have save? Uh, not when I first started. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> LabVIEW yeah. one, of course, had save, but we rewrote uh, the entire save mechanism uh, to be more efficient. So Brian, you, Nancy, and Charlie uh, are part of this new team called the Field Architects, uh, the NI Field Architects. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about what it is in a nutshell? Uh, sure. Thanks for having us here today, Michael. Um, the field architects are a new group at NI where we're focused on creating uh, more LabVIEW experts. Um, each one of us has about 20 years of industry experience, and we are um, working in several of our accounts trying to um, uh, improve overall LabVIEW proficiency and just kind of create uh, um, create more people out there who are passionate about LabVIEW. 
Uh, can you describe a little bit about how this program came to being? Like, what was the need out there for it? Um, well, Charlie was actually our first member. Charlie, do you want to try and take a stab at, at how this group got started? Um, yeah, it's actually one of our, um, it's kind of initially one of our uh, vice presidents conceived, conceived of the role uh, based on, there was a couple of Microsoft soft folks that actually played a similar role within NI, calling on NI. Um, he saw that there were roles that, uh, that other test and measurement and, and automation company vendors had. Uh, that were along similar lines where you go in and um, work with companies to understand uh, what it is that will make them successful. Um, so I, uh, um, I was an engineer before I was in sales for a long time at NI. I was an engineer before that, and I had a desire to do something more explicitly uh, technical. And so I, um, uh, I, I lobbied some folks at the last August at NI Week um, you know, trying to feel out where the position uh, could get created, and, and it, indeed it did. Had a couple of focus accounts that I've that I've been focusing on in the Southern California ever since, the, uh, the Southern California area ever since. Um, and then Brian, uh, you came on as the uh, as the technical lead for the group, which was a, a fantastic thing. I, I don't know. Do you want to you want to sort of continue with the story? Uh, sure. So um, uh, Nancy and I actually got pulled in about the same time. Nancy uh, was outside of NI and uh, we, we brought her in a, as a contract um, to help with the field architect team. And then I moved from my R&D position um, where I'd been in 23 years in LabVIEW R&D over to this group because I, I believed in the importance of um, helping uh, our customers be successful with LabVIEW. And so it seemed like a great opportunity to do that. And so uh, once I got involved back here at corporate and then once and we eventually we pulled in Nancy as a full-time employee at NI for the third time uh, in her career, um, that's what really created the team. And I think the, the three of us, uh, we call ourselves an army of three. So even though there's only three of us, we're all um, pretty passionate about uh, working in this area and helping our customers be successful. That's great. Uh, so Nancy, uh, Brian was implying that, or said that you've been at, with NI before and now you're back. So can you describe a little bit about this back and forth and, and what was it about the field architects that pulled you back in and, and got you into the program? Sure. And, and in a bit of um, irony, it, uh, there was the wife of the vice president that Charlie Knapp was referring to was a friend of mine in college. And she said that I should come work at National Instruments as a summer intern. It was this great, exciting company um, and they were growing. And so it was the summer of 1989 that I actually joined National Instruments as a summer intern supporting LabVIEW, LabWindow CVI. So I taught my first LabVIEW class in June of 1989 and worked for six months. Then after I graduated, I did something different for a couple of years not engineering related, and then came back to NI as an application engineer, eventually went out in the field covering Colorado and a few other states, and was with NI for about seven or eight years before I ventured into the world of integration and training. And in the process of spending time with customers, what I realized was there were quite a few groups out there that just needed a little bit of help in getting over some hurdle related to knowledge about LabVIEW. And what had happened during this time frame is National Instruments products were no longer in the lab, but being used on 
bigger solutions, solving larger and larger world challenges. And all of our users are really, really good, but they need to just get over that last hurdle, either as a team or as an individual to be successful in these larger projects. And so those are some of the types of opportunities I was going after as a consultant. And when this one particular VP talked to me about the position, it lined up exactly with what I was passionate about because solving these problems involves understanding architecture, understanding the what the user knows about LabVIEW and then being able to bridge that gap in some kind of training mechanism or with examples or in the case of Charlie, just being embedded at the account over a long period of time. So it was a very natural fit for my background and what my passions are. So when you go out and meet with your customers uh, in the field, do you help them primarily with LabVIEW or are there other areas that they, they need help with? Um, it uh, it kind of depends on what the customer needs. Um, we definitely have a an emphasis on LabVIEW, but um, uh, maybe Charlie, you can describe a little bit of what you're seeing in Southern California. I get, another thing I'll mention is that each of us has a different set of accounts, and each of those accounts seems to be a little bit different, and each of us is a little bit different, and so how we operate is also uh, uh, varies from person to person. And I'll add on to what Brian said briefly. We are not just tech support field people. We're not advanced technical support. We tend to look at things from a much higher level, um, which is what Charlie's been doing in some of his large accounts. Yeah, that's right. So, but so the accounts I call in in SoCal, um, uh, one of the key ones is a major uh, mobile um, company, or I don't know, what would you call it? Brian, mobile communications. Yeah, semiconductor. Wireless. And um, they actually have, they have fairly skilled LabVIEW programmers on board, but they are definitely interested in making a, a current reuse library that they have um, more productive. Um, they're also interested, they've also been interested in TestStand as a, a possible alternative to a homegrown test executive. Um, so I've been working uh, closely with, with those folks, mostly on upgrading and, and extending uh, their reuse library and also on creating a customized uh, implementation of TestStand um, that is very familiar uh, based on that LabVIEW test executive they've been using for the last uh, 10 years or so. Um, at both of my accounts, there's an interest in code design using UML as a common design, uh, design language in, in both cases um, to allow multiple developers to collaborate on designs. And then I work with a large Milero account um, in the LA area as well. And they're also interested in, in UML to uh, bridge the gap uh, between LabVIEW programmers and uh, text-based programmers. So yeah, the tools can include, you really, uh, LabVIEW focus, our long-term focus is certainly um, more successful LabVIEW users and uh, more successful use of LabVIEW, whatever that looks like, whatever it takes to make that happen. But uh, the tools uh, vary somewhat outside of LabVIEW as well. Um, I was just going to add, uh, in one of my accounts, for example, um, I've been working with a software organization where um, they, it, it's, a, it's also a large Milero account, and they have, um, you know, sort of a matrix organization where you have various programs, but you've also got, uh, in this case, a software organization that kind of cuts across a lot of different programs. And uh, I can just go in there and talk about good software engineering skills, good design practices, um, and good architectures, and that's exactly what the uh, 
software organization is interested in doing, regardless of whether it's LabVIEW or C++ or, or any particular language. And so they just want to know, they want to make sure that whatever is being used in these programs, that uh, there's good architectures and good software engineering skills are in place. And they view what I'm doing to help help make that successful with LabVIEW as a, as a good thing in that account. So do you find that um, <clears throat> some of these accounts or these customers have uh, segregated departments where let's say one department works on creating the reuse library potentially, and there's another department which probably is disconnected and is not aware of the other department's reuse library. Do you see any of that? I see a let, lot of it. I was going to let Nancy Absol- take that one. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I have I have quite a few federal labs, and it is a, they are very siloed organizations, and that is certainly one of the things that we're trying to bridge in these larger groups. Is we go in and find out more about each department, who has what skill set, what are the common skill sets that are needed across a specific federal lab in order for everyone to be successful. And then we have the opportunity to turn around and leverage things like NI community pages or companies own internal structure to help bring those people together and ensure that there are some common architectures and common reuse amongst the labs, that they are very siloed. And I would also say at one of my large Millero accounts, it is um, additionally a very siloed location where people have been there for an extended period of time and everyone has a way of doing things. And sometimes there's good collaboration um, and sometimes we can help bridge that gap. I think one thing we're all finding is part of the benefit of having senior folks isn't necessarily just, um, uh, you know, breadth and depth of a technical skill set, but also having kind of learned... Um, probably probably in some cases the hard way over time, um, how to work within an account, within a complex account, understand how people and processes are supposed to work, understand how they really work, and have sort of the, um, I don't know, politis- political skills, if you want to call it that, in order to, to dig in and work around institutional barriers to actual, actually drive um, you know, adoption and proficiency. Nancy, um, can you outline an example of how you work with LabVIEW teams? to resolve some of their issues? What has been very successful at one particular account is a deep dive for two and a half days or for three days. And we set up a little bit of a framework um, before we meet with the client. The client commits to giving their employees two to three days off. This is not going through a standard training course, but we might start the three days initially with interviews targeted at understanding exactly what the pain points are and what the low-hanging fruit is and what the overall goals are over a two to three month period. And then there will be a full two days that can be broken up between design sessions, code review, pulling information out of training courses, maybe some custom training thrown in, but it is just a real tight engagement with a specific group over a two to three day period of time that is having some significant impact in my accounts. And we continue the communication after the fact, and we can have some follow on conference calls. And then I return after two to three weeks and we go through the next iteration And so hopefully by the third or fourth engagement with this one particular group, we will have gone through most of the key issues that they're struggling with and they're working more smoothly, communicating a little bit better and all of the things that are some key things that were missing from the software development process that were important to their group are now becoming integrated um, into the group. 
so um, some of the some of the tools that uh, you know development teams use are things like source code control um, and uh, do you introduce some of those concepts as well? Absolutely. And some of the groups already have some kind of a source code control process in place and some don't. Um, certain groups um, would definitely leverage the unit test framework, whether it's from National Instruments or from JKI. Some of them don't have as in-depth of a code review process in place as they should. And so we're by example showing them what a code review might actually look like. And two other quick things. One is that we're also encouraging these groups to get certified and making sure they understand the things required for certification at whatever level makes sense for each individual. And that helps engender a certain amount of confidence in what they're producing and doing. And then the other thing to bring it back to the live view journal that Brian mentioned is as we discover key either technical challenges or features with regards to lab view that we find are having a significant impact, that's what we're going to review at LabVIEW Journal. So at this one location, it turned out that packed project libraries were a very good solution as individuals in this group would hand off code from one person to the next. However, because of the structure of their code, there were some limitations with packed project libraries that made it a little bit difficult. And so the first iteration of a blog post covered the basics of getting started with packed project libraries and the um, ideal use case for them. And when I crank out part two, which should be here very soon, then we're going to do the deeper dive into what are the limitations of packed project libraries? When is someone going to bump into issues and hopefully through this conversation, we can influence R&D and maybe with future versions of LabVIEW, LabVIEW, see some tweaks to what is already a good solution, but could probably go just a little bit further. And, and these PAC project library um, stumbling blocks are things that you uncovered while you were out in the field with, with the customer. Yes, exactly. And for our listeners, you can go to labviewjournal.com to read all those blog entries. Uh, we'll have the links up on our website. So you mentioned uh, certification, CLD, CLA, uh, Certified LabVIEW Architect. Um, I've, I, I would assume that this is critical for a team of LabVIEW developers to be able to get certified, and that would sort of raise the level ex- of expertise through the whole group. Um, how important is that for um, getting your customers or the customers that you go out to visit to get them certified? I think it's real important for a group to have a balance of enough CLAs who can lead the team. It's good to have some excellent CLDs, and there may be a larger group of CLADs. And I think it's very important for the various positions for them to know what the capabilities they need to have in that role. And I think the certification process helps with confidence. And the other thing that we found was highly entertaining as well is we had a a group of people who would cross that spectrum and we went through a couple of sample questions from the CLAD exam and encouraged everyone to attempt to answer some of the tough questions and then we would talk about it. And I think it was kind of nice for some of the junior people who were CLAD to see that some of these questions stumped the more senior members of their group. So preparing for the exam itself has been uh, an extremely beneficial team building exercise that we've seen out in the field. And uh, I'll just add in that I was in there in that same uh, 
meeting where Nancy was going through the, the CLAD questions. And some of the questions I, I said, well, here's the answer that's the right answer in terms of passing the exam. And then now here's the real answer in terms of how LabVIEW really works. And so, <laughs> um, you know, with the, with the CLAD, there's, there are a few questions like that, that fortunately, um, don't really matter in the end in terms of your overall score, but uh, it was it was an interesting discussion to have about uh, you know to, here's what's behind these questions and here's the the theory about how LabVIEW works and and why you should understand these things and uh, and we do believe that learning more about LabVIEW uh, in order to to go up the certification curve um, will help you design better LabVIEW programs. Um, as you as you grow in your LabVIEW knowledge, um, one of the things that I'll just I'll mention is that is that we are working in accounts where we're we're definitely seeing a need for more software engineering skills. And so you mentioned things like source code control, and one of the things that I've done is just with with my experience in LabVIEW R and D of just here's how NI develops software. And so sometimes um, just having an explanation or a discussion about here's some of the practices that NI has developed over the several years of developing a large software project. And some of that is, is uh, hopefully helpful to our customers to also be successful developing large applications with LabVIEW as well. Brian, as you know, National Instruments has the Alliance program, which is a group of software and hardware engineering companies that work with National Instruments to make customers successful as well. How do the Alliance member companies fit into what you do? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we're an army of three. And so there's only so much uh, we're able to do in some of these accounts. And the, so we tend to marshal a lot of different resources, um, both NI resources and Alliance partners, as well as trying to um, encourage each of these companies to just increase their own internal LabVIEW knowledge and proficiency. Um, but uh, not all companies that we work with necessarily want in-house expertise and are always going to be contracting out some of this, uh, some of their work. And so there we want to definitely be working with our key alliance partners that are helping us out and ensuring that they have the resources that they need to be successful in the customer's overall success. And one thing I don't know if has been mentioned yet in, is that we are not a paid resource. So the customer is not paying national instruments for our time. Um, it is a field sales team in combination with conversations with us where we figure out what, is the, what are the accounts that have the greatest need and which we can have an impact and so we're free, we're a free resource. And then if a company wants to hire someone to do something that might be similar, that makes a lot of sense. And we support that 100%. So the other areas that we can also help out the Alliance members in one of my large accounts, we have a couple of Alliance members that to do a little bit of work there, but I'm doing what I can to raise their visibility within the account and make sure that they are aware of all user group meetings, inviting them to put together code examples or present at user group meetings. And then on the flip side, we've run into a situation where there's a piece of code that is contracted to a contractor and then to a contractor and then to a contractor. 
Well, there's somebody in that chain that just needs to understand what does good live view code look like? And so we'll work with the client to um, ensure that they have some good coding standards. So then when something gets contracted to a group that we might not be familiar with, we can ensure that, yes, the code that's coming back is um, of a quality that you would be happy with. So this is contracted to non-alliance member companies, I assume, because I, I, all alliance members write awesome code, right? Yes, all <laughs> alliance members write awesome code, correct. This is going down the food chain a few levels, and I, we don't know, I don't personally know the, um, the end contractor, so... One of the things I'll add to what Nancy said is that um, we're really trying to get uh, a better relationship with these customer with our customers. It's, uh, it, I think we're we're trying to make it more of a partnership, and so um, NI is willing to invest people like Charlie and Nancy and me in these uh, customer relationships to ensure success. And so it's, it's, you know, I, Nancy used the word free. I, I would say it's more of just a, a part of this, this um, partnership that we have that we want our customers to be successful and we're willing to invest some of NI's time to help ensure that that happens. Well, and actually just to extend that on the Alliance member side, um, it's, it's fairly likely that I'm actually, I've actually been looking for some uh, Shorter term projects, I have two long term accounts and I've been looking for some more uh, short term engagements that might have value for Southern California. And um, I've been talking to uh, one of the California ASMs who has a, a, an account who will likely be standardizing on NI software, LabVIEW with TestStand, as well as uh, the, the PXI platform. So there's actually a, a alliance member identified that has deep expertise in the in um, in the domain, uh, the solution domain uh, for that project for, uh, for that company. Um, also has excellent LabVIEW expertise, but does not have a um, a rich history of using TestStand. So the idea at this point is for me to go in and facilitate um, uh, the the TestStand part of that, the integration of LabVIEW modules with TestStand, and then also act as a go between uh, between this alliance member. And I, and I Austin to make sure that we have all the resources we need to make that happen. So they essentially get a, 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 re, a free resource, at least free to them, uh, to kind of fill in that gap. And also a means. Charlie, you're of, an investment, not a free resource. <laughs> Brian, just let us know. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah. OK, investment. So <laughs> but um, so so we're an investment in this alliance member. Um, and so. So essentially, we get a very competent alliance member that can look after that code base in the long time, in the over the long term, have a relationship with that customer, um, and then they get that gap filled, and also some internal test stand expertise moving uh, moving forward as well. Um, so, so that's that's kind of a an example of working directly with an alliance member. Do you find that engineers can get their hardware systems up and running quickly, but lack the software engineering skills to scale up to large apps? Well, I think that you know if, if you if you watch the NIWE keynotes, um, and in particular Jeff Kadoski's keynote from uh, this year at NIWE, as well as Shelley Gretline's keynote, a lot of the message there was how we're empowering domain experts to be successful at developing software using LabVIEW and the NI platform, and so we we have a lot of um, 
mechanical engineers and electrical engineers and physicists and so on who are who are uh, writing software when a few years ago, maybe they never even thought that they could do that and that they would always have to uh, hire some software engineer to do some part of their application. And um, so, so the NI platform is able to empower these people to suddenly do software engineering. And um, to the extent we can, and this is actually a focus area of research we're trying to improve on, is how do we lead these people who aren't trained in software engineering to make good choices in software engineering, to have good designs, to have good source code control practices, to have good testing and so on. And so that's an area that I think we'll always face. Um, however, you know, I think that um, we, we uh, and I guess another thing we see is that there are different applications that de need different levels of skills. Um, I, I like to say, you know, you can write a three icon demo in LabVIEW. And in fact, some people have, have developed their entire careers around writing three icons in LabVIEW and being successful because that's all their application really needed. Um, however, uh, as you get into more and more complicated applications where you've got, you need more complex architectures, you may be including more programmers into it. And that's where if you don't get the software engineering right, you could potentially run into trouble. And that's where I think we're seeing how do we get those people um, up the learning curve to what, what are the things that they need to learn so that they will be successful at building these larger applications. And so that's an ongoing challenge that I think we'll always have. And I'm, I, I uh, will we'll always strive to make things easier, but people will always be pushing the bounds on what they're doing with LabVIEW. So you're saying we'll always have a job? <laughs> That's what I'm seeing so far, yes. <laughs> well, and I think, I think Brian hit it on the head is that our user base can tackle some pretty tough things in LabVIEW because it simplifies the software development process. But then they hit that bump in the road where scale, they didn't think about scalability up front, they didn't think about the fact that this software tool is going to be around for five to 10 years. So they've made it about half the way there. And in many of these cases, there's a lone wolf who has been very successful on his own or on her own, but doesn't have that broader team to work with. And we certainly fill the gap in that arena. It's not just a DAC board and temperature measurements anymore. Nope. Yeah. Well, I mean, so just to, uh, criticize a little bit um isn't isn't there a message though that it's getting better lately but um in the past there's been a message coming out of either sales or marketing from ni that uh labview is so easy you know even a caveman can do it you have these three blocks <laughs> you put them down and it solves all your problems and, that, and that's it um and then you know the customer takes labview and tries to put these three blocks and yes it does read back temperature but then he wants to program an fpga um, and do a tight control loop and then doesn't know where to go is there, is there a change that needs to happen perhaps in the messaging as well to indicate that well it is a it's a full featured programming language and you need to use good software practices i think you're preaching to the choir <laughs> yes. absolutely on the other yep. hand i don't think that is that's I, i'll let the other folks uh, chime in more, but I, that's not a completely unaddressed issue, though. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, LabVIEW is not a simple programming language. I, I, I kind of compare. I, I talk about um, C, C++ being uh, kind of like a uh, 
a kid learning to play a violin to where they just they sound like crap for several years until they sort of don't and then they they have sort of the infrastructure built up to when they where they can actually uh, actually play relatively sophisticated music and sound really good whereas LabVIEW is more like a guitar you can start kind of banging out chords pretty quickly and and and, and entertain your friends and, and sound pretty good but if you want to play like like Eddie Van Halen that's years and years uh, of work and it takes just as long to master it at that level as it does to to, to um, you know, to master a violin. So that, that's the analogy I make. But you're absolutely right that I think in the past there has been an element of uh, maybe the lab ease of use um, emphasized a little too much. But I also do believe that we've taken steps to to address that over the last, particularly over the last five years or so. But um, one of the things that we will consider when we look at our group in a year and say how successful have we been is the degree to which we can slowly influence and help some of these other groups within I to either make some changes in R&D, maybe tweak some things in our education materials, and really help the sales force as well for some of the newer folks that are coming up the learning curve in NI with regards to helping them quickly identify the individual their skill set and the application and the complexity of the application. So we agree with you 100%. And the three icon demo is great, but an individual who's going to be programming FPGA needs to be informed. Here are the hurdles that you're going to face as you learn LabVIEW. And here are the first things you need to learn and understand about LabVIEW. Master this, then move to the next level, move to the next level. And I concur that we can do a better job of making sure that all of us in NI can identify the complexity of the solution and better equip the end user for her to understand where she is in her learning process. And uh, to echo something that both of you said is that, is, is that we definitely want to be driving change within NI. And so that's one of the things that I bring with, with 23 plus years of relationships with other people inside of NI. And so I have, you know, I can go and talk to the thought leaders on the LabVIEW team and we can brainstorm about ways to solve uh, problems in LabVIEW. I, I'm connected to customer education. Um, and so if we feel like uh, courses need improvement, then we can, we can drive that. Um, I've got relationships with the, the marketing organization, so we can, we can, improve marketing as needed aren't um, you and, in marketing uh, um you're not supposed to say that <laughs> Oops, i'm sorry please edit that out <laughs> um so uh yeah, no, nobody wants to talk to a marketing person right <laughs> marketing lobotomy that's i have i have three different business cards well i won't even tell you i won't even tell you what organization i report to so. <laughs> it's, it's black ops yeah. <laughs> But, but I think driving change inside of NI is another goal of having a team like this with, um, you know, 20-year veterans who are working in important customers. And so that has a lot of weight back at NI corporate. And um, we are confident that we can drive change inside of NI to develop better products and def better messaging around it. Um, so way, way back when I started, um, I was the lone wolf in my company and I found that I had to reach out to the community, to the web, 
to user group meetings and, and those kind of things to sort of network with other Lavi developers because I wasn't in, in, in a big account, so to speak, where there's uh, dozens of Lavi developers I could bounce questions off of. How do you find the importance of, of the community in getting, you know, these, even, even the large accounts sort of uh, up to speed in the, in the better engineering practices, software engineering practices? I think the community is one of those valuable things that has come alongside NI to help NI to be even more successful. The community has always been a place where wacky ideas are tossed around and people wrestle with them and then out comes an elegant architecture. And the community has been a great place where the early adopters have been pushing the envelope with LabVIEW and feeding back to NI so the community has been absolutely fabulous and absolutely critical, I think, for creating and helping grow the leaders like yourself and um, the other leaders at other accounts who have been very, very successful just going through the community. So it's a huge asset. I would I would state it even more strongly that I just don't think we would be as nearly as successful without the community. It's It's been critical to our success. Um, you know, we back... I guess it was probably about 1989 or so that the Info LabVIEW mailing list was started uh, with Tom Koradeshi at Picatinny Arsenal. And um, that grew and grew for years. And then, uh, of course, we've got the NI-based, NI.com-based community, as well as things like LavaG. Um, so the LavaG.org website is a tremendous resource for um, really being able to have these discussions uh, about advanced LabVIEW concepts, architectures, questions. Um, and then there's uh, another thing is, is things like NI Week. Um, you know, having just come off of NI Week, you know, I think we all felt like it was a really, once again, a really good experience and a really great time to, um, to learn about LabVIEW and, and to have the conversations that you may not be able to just have if you're, uh, if you don't have a bunch of other LabVIEW experts around you. Um, you know, another event that we have for people who are certified LabVIEW architects is the Certified LabVIEW Architects Summit, which is held in the spring of every year. And uh, that's actually a event that Nancy created uh, before she returned to NI. And it's basically a community-driven event among the certified LabVIEW architects to all get together and talk about very advanced concepts. And really the impetus that drove that, I would say, were two key things. One is what about the lone wolf who doesn't have the face-to-face contact? And how do we take something as powerful as the Lavagy online community and help make that be um, something in which people can interact in person and continue some of those same discussions. So without question, it was the thriving LabVIEW community, um, particularly LavaG, that helped prompt some of those ideas to come up with the uh, CLA Summit. Do you have a way where people can directly contact you? Let's say uh, a customer or somebody wants you guys to come out and take a look at what they do. How, how, what is that process? I would recommend that uh, if you know, if they feel like they need some support from NI, that we're just part of the overall support services capabilities of National Instruments. And so um, I want to make sure that whatever help that you need, 
that uh, you're, you're led the right way. Any of the ways of contacting us through NI.com are great places to start. Um, it, it, and there are others, other groups at NI that are able to do support, able to do, um, uh, you know, for, for example, contracted services and so on. And so we're just a piece of, it, of the puzzle. Um, now, you know, you, if you contact us directly, you know, yes, we'll, we'll also respond and, and hopefully also lead you to the same uh, good support resources for whatever it is that you're looking for. So if I have a problem with my LabVIEW globals, you're not going to help me directly? <laughs> I'm going to tell you to not use them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or if you can't initialize a serial port, it's <laughs> probably, right, right. probably, probably punt you off to, to a more appropriate resource. <laughs> though, though I can help you with that serial port. <laughs> I would like to thank Brian Powell. Thank you. Thanks for having us here. Uh, Nancy Hollenbeck. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate this. And Charlie Knapp. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate being included in the discussion. And thank you all for listening to this episode of the VI Shots podcast. Make sure to visit the show notes page on vishots.com to find links to the content mentioned in this episode. You can also leave a comment over there with any questions. Just search for VI Shots Podcast Episode 11. Or you can send us an email to feedback at vishots.com. Thanks again for listening and bye for now.